Hey listeners, my name is Elisha, the founder of the Witnesses Podcast. It's so beautiful to have you listening to our podcast. And I want you to know something that that means a whole lot to me. Thank you for tuning in. And one thing I love to tell all of our listeners is, it's not just about you listening, but listening to understand. Understanding is the most important thing. So important. So, you have to listen, learn, and practice. Thank you so very much and happy listening. Hi, Johel. So nice to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. That's so good. Okay, you know, oftentimes I love to talk about the essence of this show, which is to invite amazing guests, amazing guests like Johel to come talk to us about their triumphant stories because we believe that in our audience there might be someone who is talked up in a situation that Johel came out of triumphantly. So by that person listening to you speak, he or she might actually pick an information that will lead to the transformation. So that is basically the essence of the show. All right, Joel, within the next few minutes, let us get started with your story, the challenges that you faced, and how you overcame them. And afterwards, I've got some beautiful questions for you. Okay, Joel, over to you. <laughs> well, that sounds good. So... My name is Joelle Castex, and um, I am an advocate and expert on um, preventing child sexual abuse in institutions and preparing parents to prevent child sexual abuse in their children. And the reason that I got into that work is because I'm a survivor. Um, When I was 15 years old, I was sexually abused by a high school teacher. He was my choir director. He knew that I had problems, um, emotional problems. He knew that my mother was an alcoholic. He knew that my father wasn't helping me. And he took that and twisted it and used that to get access to me and then sexually abused me over a period of two years. And during that time, the school officials knew about it and covered it up. And my peers knew about it and blamed me. And by the end... Um, I was pregnant and had a sexually transmitted disease and I didn't have anyone to, to help me. And it was an awful, horrific time. Um, I've been able to since then. Yes. Oh, um, since then, um, it's, it's been a real quest to not only find my own healing, but I find that the best way to heal myself is to help others find that same path. And so um, throughout the years, I've been able to not only help myself through things like therapy and counseling, but also things like um, advocating to state legislatures to change the laws when it comes to child sexual abuse. And so, for example, in 2003, I was allowed to come forward in the courts in the civil courts in California and say, yes, this man sexually abused me. Yes, the school covered it up. And I was able to get all the documents in my case that showed that, yes, they knew. And he he went on to abuse other girls. And so um, after that case settled, it really gave me a platform and an ability to go on and help other people. I've been everywhere from Guam to Alaska to Europe, reaching out to survivors, telling them it's safe to come forward, finding safe paths for them to come forward. 
I've lobbied in front of state legislatures to change the laws to make them more friendly for survivors coming forward. Um, I've worked with numerous nonprofits that, that work with survivors to show them the best, most effective way to um, help survivors get through this challenge. And then I work very closely with parents because I found that, you know, with all the survivors I've worked with, and even in my own, my own story, um, our abuse was so easily preventable. If parents just knew what to look for, if they understood the signs of predatory grooming, and if they just communicated with their kids in a way that was safe and open and made it okay to talk about abuse. And so some of my most rewarding work is with parents in abuse prevention, because I think parents are scared. They're scared that if they teach child sexual abuse prevention, they have to talk about sex. And that's not, you don't have to do that. And they think that they're going to scare their kids. And it's my goal to make sure that every child is um, well armored against child sexual abuse and goes through life without fear. And so it's, it's been a wild ride. And so I've been doing that for about the past 20 years. And now I found that things like this podcast are a great way to get the word out, to get resources in the hands of survivors and to get resources in the hands of parents. Because my goal is to make sure that what happened to me doesn't happen to another child. Oh, oh, beautiful. You've got a very beautiful heart. I tell you, I'm so excited about that. Okay, so um, let us dive into the questions, all right? Okay, this says, how can um, technology, how can technology actually keep our kids safer from abuse. You got that? You know, technology, oh, sorry, did I interrupt you? Yeah, yeah, okay, let me. Uh, technology is both good, oh, okay. So how can technology actually keep our kids safer from abuse? You got it now. Okay, so technology has been our biggest challenge and it's been our biggest tool in preventing child sexual abuse. It's a challenge because we have things like social media, which right now is the wild west and children are being fed information through algorithms that are specifically targeted to be addictive um, and feed those dopamine receptors in kids and give kids the, the, the attention and love that they should be getting elsewhere. And so that's a challenge. But the opportunity is there as well because it allows parents, parents the option to go in and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this. Let's open up the discussion. Parents kind of come in and limit social media and things like that. Tech companies need to stand up and say, we will no longer support the kind of information that's going out to these kids. And so that's, that's the challenge. But then the opportunity is that we can use technology to find people who are exploiting children that we never knew before. Um, in the United States, we have the Internet Crimes Against Children Initiative, and they worked um, very closely with the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee to grill the heads of the various social media companies and ask them the tough questions um, about why these algorithms are addictive, why they're allowing this information in the hands of kids. What do they know about it, and have they been covering it up this whole time? Another um, great resource is what law enforcement has been able to do with a lot of this technology. 
because for many, many years when it came to child sexual sex abuse materials, which what we used to call child pornography, it was done through the mail and it was, um, you know, very clandestine. And it was hard to find these people, especially those who were creating and distributing child pornography. But because of technological advances with the Internet, we are able to not only help identify and find these people, but also help law enforcement triage the cases. And what I mean by that is that a, a police station or a, you know, a law enforcement agency might get you know, 10,000 um, leads on child sexual abuse materials in their um, jurisdiction. But because technology will allow them to sort through those leads and say, oh, you know, well, this guy uh, lives alone in a cabin, but this guy is a principal of a high school, then it allows um, law enforcement to go directly after that person and make sure that they no longer have access to children. Um, it, technology also allows us to meet certain populations where they're at. And um, so for families who have a tough time communicating about this kind of stuff. We can use technology and we can actually use social media to help educate kids about what is important in protecting themselves, protecting their data, protecting their information and protecting their safety. And so um, it has opened up and facilitated a lot of conversations as well. So, um, you know, the more and more we address the challenges involved with technology and see them as opportunities to reach out to kids to um, aid law enforcement, to foster communication between parents and kids, to foster communication between children and adults in general, safe, trusting adults in general, we can intercept the, the children before they get into the cycle of abuse. I got that. What, what, a, um, what an incredible moment it is with you, Joelle, I tell you, you know, our conversation is getting really educative and I love it. <laughs> okay, um, so the second question, all right, this is also very important. It says, how can I trust my church, school, or scout troop or community to do the right thing when it comes to sexual abuse? Yeah, that's, that's a very heavy question because when we allow our children or we take our children to churches, we allow them to attend school, we send them to the Boy Scout, we are putting a large amount of trust in these institutions that have promised us that they're going to keep our children safe. Well, you can't trust them 100%. And so it's up to parents up to caretakers, up to interested adults, up to general advocates who just care about kids to demand that institutions such as schools, whether they're public or private, camps, Boy Scouts, churches, have not only do they have policies in place to protect kids, but that people know what the policies are, that people know what to do when they see or suspect abuse, that there's a reporting structure to law enforcement and that children are made aware of um, what is right and wrong in the matter of how they deal with adults. And so what I tell parents, especially when they're going to a new church or a new school, is to ask the direct questions. Ask the people involved, well, so what is your check-in, check-out policy at this school? How, what do you do if you suspect child sexual abuse? Who do you call? 
Um, what are, can I see a copy of your policies and procedures? Uh, has this happened in the past? Have you been sued in the past? Has anyone from the school or church been arrested for child sexual abuse? If they have, what did you learn and what did you change to make sure it didn't happen again? Because especially when it comes to faith organizations, we want to believe that our church is always going to do the right thing. We want to believe that they're, they are doing the, the work of, of the higher authority and they're there to, to love and protect. But remember, churches are run by people. They're not run by God. And so we True. really need to, yeah, yeah, we need to verify no matter how holy or gracious or anything you believe that your church is, it is your duty and obligation to stand up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, a lot of churches will say, well, yeah, we have a great policy. And then when you ask, well, can I see the policy? How do you train on the policy? Does everyone know the policy? That's where you'll get people stepping back saying, well, gosh, no, I, uh, oh yeah, we did a training a couple years ago. Or, or if you ask teachers, what, what do you do right now at this school if you see or suspect child sexual abuse and see what the teacher has to say? Um, you wanna make sure they say, we report to law enforcement. You don't want them to say, oh, I report to my boss. No, because you're, it's not a school principal's job to investigate child sexual abuse. Yeah. So you just want to you want to ask the tough questions because you're not questioning them. You are asserting the safety of children. And once you take that goal about it, it's okay to ask tough questions. It's okay to demand real, honest answers. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, um, the second to last question. All right. You have gone to some pretty exotic places to help survivors. How did you build a connection? That's a really good question because, you know, I live in Southern California. Okay. And, you know, if you drop me somewhere that is completely foreign, it's, it's tough to make that connection. And so one of the biggest, most you know, fulfilling trips I ever did was to Alaska. And I worked very closely with the survivors um, on the, uh, Norton Sound, and that's in Northwest Alaska, right around the Arctic Circle. And these are um, native Alaskans who live in small villages that have been there for a long time. Many don't have running water. They just recently got satellite television or recently we have, that was 10 years ago, but they, you know, so it's a pretty recent thing. There's no roads going in and out of the village. You, during the winter time, you can only get in and out via plane and they're, they're pretty isolated. And we found in these villages that there were generations of children who were sexually abused by Jesuit priests because the Jesuits who are in order within the Catholic church would send their troublesome guys to Alaska because they knew that no one would hear the reports from the kids. And then you have the kids who they speak English, mom and dad speak um, Yupik, and they don't have the words to explain what's happening to them. Plus the kids are hungry. You know, sometimes if they're abused, they get food in return. I mean, that's, that's really tough. And so, you know, here I am a Southern California kid dumped in Alaska in the middle of February, which, you know, is a little cold. And I'm meeting with people who in any other way, shape or form have, we have very little in common. But once you say it happened to me too, it becomes universal. Yeah. 
every child who has gone through child sexual abuse, whether they were sexually abused in, you know, on the North Pole or whether they're sexually abused in South America, predators do the same thing and the survivor goes through the same pain. And, and I remember I was talking to a couple and both the husband and wife had been sexually abused. We were all in our thirties at the time. And, you know, I had one young son, they had like nine kids. They were barely scraping by, but they said, you know, Joel, you're the only one who gets it. You're the only one who understands what we're going through. And it's not because I'm anything special. It's just because I was ground up in the same heartbreaking machine that they were. And I knew what that pain was. And so that's the common ground. And it's, it's allowing them the opportunity to, to, to tell their story in an authentic way and know that I will, I hear, I not only hear it, but I understand it and I'm not scared by it. And I, and that, that works everywhere. I mean, the, the reason I do this work is because I, I get it. I understand. And so, you know, when I worked in Hawaii, I was, it was, I was able to make that connection because even though, you know, I was an outsider, the one thing we had in common was this pain. And the one thing we wanted in common was to get rid of this pain and to make sure it didn't happen to anyone else. And so that's where that connection comes in because, you know, I'm not, I'm not anything special. I'm not, you know, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. All I do is fight for survivors. And my only goal is to make sure they get the help they need and they find the help they need. And so, you know, my motives are, are there just to help and I'm there ready to listen. Beautiful. Okay. The last question, Joelle, um, what makes a church or institution prone to attract abusers? Well, that, that's a, that's a good question because actually churches are magnets for child predators and and I want to make it clear, it's not that churches create child predators, it's that churches are a safe place for child predators, so they will find their way there. Yeah. And the reason for this is, is manifold. First of all, a, when you join any kind of church or faith community, you are a member of that community. You are allowed to spend time with people. You're allowed to get to know people. They will offer you um, positions of leadership. They want to nurture you. So there's already an organization in there that, that wants to help you and is ready to invite you in. Unlike if you move into a neighborhood, your neighbors may or may not like you, or they may or may not embrace you. Then in a church, if you are, let's say you're now up in a ministerial position, you are in a position of extreme power. And it's not the kind of power that a king has. It's even worse because you are a, you're speaking for God. Yeah. And so your ability to connect with vulnerable populations is far greater than if you were in any other job on the planet. So yeah. you have instant access and credibility. You are seen as someone who is speaking on behalf of God. So that credibility is, is super important for a predator. Churches also tend to protect their own. Um, so let's say that, uh, you know, they, uh, someone, a minister at a church is uh, accused of abuse. A church is very inclined to protect that person who's been accused 
because there is so much trust in there and because they there's also the what they call the quid pro quo which means that you know if this music minister knows about the sins that i have then i better not talk about the fact that they're molesting kids because they're going to expose the fact that i cheated on my wife and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff so that quid pro quo is also very very problematic um, another problem, um, you know, one of the beauties of churches is the, the gift of forgiveness. Many churches use that gift to give people a free pass. So if a minister is accused of abuse, many times church leaders will say, you know what, you're forgiven, God's, God loves you, go on and sin no more, don't do it again. And the problem is, is that they'll do it again because they don't get in trouble for it. Yeah. And, and churches also are very inclined to not report abuse because the last thing they want is to have any kind of publicity of the fact that children were sexually abused at that church. So the so you have the stature, you have the credibility, you have the close community, you have the quid pro quo, you have the forgiveness. So it is churches are magnets for child predators because they they know that the chances of them being caught prosecuted and punished are, are minimal. And then there's all these kids they can choose from and all these opportunities to volunteer one-on-one -on -one to spend more time with them. Oh, that's so correct. Wow. Oh my goodness. You know, I've got a clap for you. <laughs> you did a really great job. Okay. So in conclusion, Joelle, let's say there is one piece of advice you have to say to the audience, what would that be? And let's say there are some people or someone who would like to reach out to you, learn more about what you do. How can that be possible? Well, if people want to reach out to me or learn more about me, they can go to my website, which is castex.com. And then I'm also on social media, um, and you can link to that on my website. I also have some books out there. Um, I have a great book called uh, The Well-Armored Child, How to Protect Children Against Child Sexual Abuse. And that's a great tool for parents. It's a big book, but it's age-specific, so I can just go right to the chapter that affects you. And then what do I say to people who are here? You're not alone. If you're a survivor, you're not alone. If you're a parent and you're confused and scared, you're not alone. If you're an advocate and you want to do something and fight, you're not alone. All you need to do to find your community is to speak up. So if you're a survivor and you, and you need to find help, contact someone like me or contact a support group and communicate and you'll get the help you need. If you're a parent who thinks you're all alone because your child has been abused it, or something horrible has happened in your community, reach out. There's people everywhere willing to help. No one needs to suffer through this alone. Beautiful, beautiful. So that's going to be the end of the show, Joelle. Thank you for your time and thank you for honoring the Himbat. It really do means a whole lot. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this incredible episode. Your support means the world to us, and we truly value you. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Your feedback is greatly appreciated.